2: Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia.
3: fans welcome back to another edition of football 24 7. i'm your guy tone de shields the second and i'm joined by none other than our philadelphia (laughs) eagles insider john McMullen. make sure you guys smash that like button first and foremost and also secondly make sure you guys are subscribed to the uh jacob sports youtube channel we appreciate all the love and support that you guys provide to the show now of course A lot's been going on with the Philadelphia Eagles over the past few weeks. We all know how that playoff game went. We know who's been hired. We know who's been fired. Still some unknowns. But, John, um, I have to ask you, now that we're about three or four days uh, removed from that Eagles press conference that received a lot of criticism, a lot of fallout, uh has your opinions has your feelings changed regarding what you heard what you saw on that day?
4: uh no uh no i i I don't think it was a good way to uh, handle things um you know we say Jeffrey Lurie can do whatever he wants. It's his team um but you know he should have been the one standing up there um and explaining the decisions. Uh, Jeffrey obviously doesn't like to speak that often, which generally I think is a good thing. You don't want to be Jerry Jones and having <clears throat> press conferences after every game. But when you make big decisions like that and, and you're the one who makes the decision and you're trotting out people who aren't making the decisions and and putting them in difficult spots, I think it does more harm than good Um. You know Jeffrey has to talk at the league meetings in March. That's probably the next time we'll hear from him and, and get some uh clear uh reasoning for the way he did the things the way he did. But you know, Howie and Nick are up there trying to put their best spin um on things as possible, and you know, they they came across looking poorly in most people's eyes, I would say. Um, Obviously, there's always going to be a small group that defends any decision, but um, you know, they don't have the power to make these decisions, and they're trying to explain these decisions, so it's it's a little disconnected.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I think the operative word you, you said was spin, right? It seems like but ever, since, ever since Nick Sirianni been here, ever since that two and five, ever since that two and five start and giving up play calling, uh, his role, um, what he's accountable for, um, the, lev- the level of his decision making, it's all been called into question. I feel like since Nick Sirianni's been here, um, he's been called into question in terms of his actual impact on winning and what this team does well. And now I feel like we're in a position where there's no need to speculate anymore. Uh, Nick Sirian is a guy who's lost all autonomy uh, and most of his power within his organization.
4: Um, I, I, I you know, I'm not going to go that far, but he, he clearly was directed to do something he didn't want to do. Um, you now, as we move forward. Um, with new coordinators. Um, I think he's going to be less involved than ever on the defensive side. I think essentially Vic Banja is going to be the head coach of the defense, very similar to how Jim Schwartz was for Doug Peterson. Um, And then offensively, um, I think he'll have some autonomy, but obviously he was directed to bring in a fresh mind, with fresh ideas was the terminology, which same terminology as Doug Peterson back in the day. And Doug refused to do it. Um, he was ordered to do that. And and we'll see how that relationship develops. But I, I know, you know, Nick Sirianni spent three years talking about connection, connection, connection. Um, his Core coaching philosophy, not only with the players, but as coaches, and um, he was close to a lot of these guys who are going to move on. Alex Tanney's going to move on. Marcus Brady's going to move on, uh, specifically on the offensive side. Um, obviously, Brian, um, and he took a lot of pride and was trying to create this ecosystem of of look when you're when you're successful in this league, it's part of it. You're going to lose coaches. So he was trying to create this ecosystem when one guy left because they were successful, they'd have the next guy up and ready to go. Um, And as I said, he took pride in that, and it was taken away from him. And now he's going to have a bunch of new guys he's not familiar with. Um, With the exception of Bick, he's familiar with Bick, but obviously that's on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, offensively, it's going to be a bunch of new guys that aren't part of his family, as he described it. Um, Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Now, some it, it could go either. I've heard the word uncomfortable used by a lot of people. Jeffrey's trying to make people more uncomfortable. He thinks they got too comfortable, and that's possible. Sometimes, you know when you've been in one spot for a lengthy period of time it becomes familiar it becomes routine um and you do lose some of that urgency so i can see from that standpoint um, trying to upset the apple cart a little bit um but i you know my problem is he tried to piecemeal it um and you know we're having all these scapegoats and you know it it, it, if you have a problem with the offense and you're firing the offensive coordinator, essentially firing the quarterback coach, essentially firing the senior offensive consultant, but you're keeping the two most important guys, Nick, Nick and Kevin Petullo as right-hand man. What are you really doing? You know, it's like you're worried about the lawn when the, when the foundation is crumbling. Correct. Uh, so... You know, I think Jeffrey's trying to straddle the defense because he didn't want to fire a coach with a 6.67 winning percentage and three consecutive playoff berths and um, two top 10 offenses in a row. I think a lot of people forget this is a top 10 offense. I get the feeling people in Philadelphia are filled up here like this was a disaster. No, the defense was a disaster. The offense wasn't. Um, you know, so I think he didn't want to look to his peers and and people in the industry as somebody who's going to get rid of um coaches at the first sign of trouble. But I mean, people in the industry know you're firing all the assistants, so right?
3: You're 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 kind of nailing it for me right here. The fact of the matter is. Have some courage in your convictions, right? You clearly weren't happy with what went down this year. And um, I think you guys had a great interview with Derek Gunn. You guys touched on a lot of things, but you said something kind of similar to what you said uh, just now about straddling the fence. And it, it's either you're in or you're out. You know, this isn't the kind of league where you want to straddle the fence. You know, uh, look, you know, we respect the fact that you didn't want to compound a mistake with the coordinators. We get that, but you keep the head coach. You take his power away, and now you're employing this this system where the defensive coordinator is the head coach of defense. The OC is the I don't know head coach of the offense or whatever. And we talked about this before that this model it cannot it cannot sustain itself just based off of the way um, things you know based off the way things have been going.
4: Well, it can. I I, I mean I, I, I I'm a fan of CEO coaches, but you know the Eagles are trying to, to what spend- extent right the Eagles well, tend well, to
3: think things too far right the linebacker position well, taking that too far the uh CEO yeah. thing well, well the
4: spin the spin they're trying to get out and look I get it you're always trying to make things positive is that he's going to be because this is championship weekend and two of the four coaches still playing our our CEO coaches um and John Harbaugh and Dan Campbell, and you could argue Andy is at this point as well, but he does more as far as he'll call plays, he'll take it, he'll take it away. He he toggles back and forth so much you don't even know. Um. But, <clears throat> and, and, and I think, you know, they're trying to, he's going to be like Dan Campbell. He's going to be like John Harbaugh. No, that's what he was. He was like Dan Campbell from that, you know, from when he handed off, play calling to Shane Steichen. That's the point he became John Harbaugh or Dan Campbell. He's been that. He's been that. When Dan Campbell, a lot of people forget, you know, things weren't great in Detroit when he first got there. His first offensive coordinator was Anthony Lynn, not Ben Johnson. He fired Anthony Lynn. He fired his secondary coach, uh, Aubrey Peasant, at one point. Um, He had the power to do that. And he brought in, and in, in the case of Ben, he elevated him uh, from the staff. And it worked out well, obviously. Aaron Glenn, their defensive coordinator, getting a lot of head coaching um, interviews as well. Obviously, there's only two spots left. He's probably not going to get one. But that's what happens when you have success. Your guys are wanted. Um and he was those guys. Now he's not those guys. Now he's Jason Garrett at the end in Dallas. That's what I've made the comparison. When when Jerry Jones said, All right, you can stay as the head coach, but you can't call plays anymore. And he took that autonomy away from him. So even though Nick doesn't want to call plays, he could, he could have taken it back from Brian Johnson. And some people will argue he he limited Brian Johnson too much by Demanding certain things in certain instances, but um, either way, he no longer has that kind of power that Dan Campbell or John Harbaugh have. So that that comparison is just to to fool people who don't know what they don't know, so to speak. So he's more
3: with Jason Garrett then.
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, And. You know, Jason Garrett was was fine. If you look at his last three years in Dallas, yeah, I think he had a ten win season, a nine win season, eight. It wasn't like they were terrible. They were a little bit above mediocre.
3: Yeah, his win percentage um during his stint um as their head coach is a little over five hundred.
4: I mean, because personnel is always more important, and I'm not saying the Eagles are going to win three games next year or four games because they have too many good players and. I think Howie will probably correct some things and um, have a better uh, roster this time, especially when it comes to depth. Um, so it, by no means am I trying to say this is a death sentence as far as um, being a, a good football team, or even a playoff level football team. But I do think you know, the clock has started on, on Nick Sirianni. I do think it's very unlikely. Um He's going to get a second contract with the Eagles now. Um,
3: it's Let just, me ask it's you this. Bad, if if he's not a controlling the defense. No, no, right. I agree. If Because if, I personally believe at this point you should have just moved on from him. But that's, that's that's separate from what I'm about to say here. If – the DC is responsible for the defense. The new OC is going to be responsible for the offense. They're being gauged off of those. What exactly is Nick Siriani and your, by your estimation, is going to be gauged off of if he's this hands off?
4: It's <laughs> a good question. Maybe, maybe his uh, press secretary uh, duties. Um, <laughs> You know, he's a glorified press secretary talking for the organization. Because remember, I told you Jeffrey doesn't like to talk. Jeffrey won't even explain his decision making. He's sending up other people to talk about his decision making. Um, he'll talk when he has to talk, generally twice a year. Um, but you feel like you should have spoke about this. Oh, yeah. This is his decision. Um and I've known that, and I think it's interesting because I said I've known that since 2016. When when uh, excuse me, 20 Doug got here in 2016, 2021, when he fired Doug, I was told by somebody who um, who would know, you know, very you know, when it comes to coaching, when it comes to high level coaching decisions. Don't look at Howie. Don't blame anybody else. It's Jeffrey. It's Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. 100% Jeffrey. Um, and and Jeff McLean is the first to say this week, which I, I don't think a lot of people know, so I'll give Jeff the credit. Nick Ceriani doesn't report to Howie Roseman. He reports to um, Jeffrey Lurie directly. To, mm-hmm. So that's how the Eagles have set it up. Both Roseman and Sirianni report directly to Jeffrey Lurie. So I think a lot of people are the assumption of, well, Howie's a part of this as well. When it comes to the decision, um, whether Nick's going to move forward or, or be fired, he's not. It's, it's one man's decision, which I've said pretty consistently on, on Birds 365. That's when I gave my predictions. I said, you're always at the whim of one guy. I mean, it's, you know, one guy making the decision. One guy can change his mind. One guy can do this. One guy can do that. And Jeffrey has every right. It's his team. That's a big hire. He should be and certainly in charge of it. And I'm not saying he doesn't take advice and how he's much closer and he he values his opinion more. But don't blame Howie Roseman for the coaching stuff. Blame if you want to blame somebody or if you want to laud somebody, it's it's Jeffrey Lurie, because I've also given Jeffrey credit back in again, 2021, perfect example, Howie recommended Josh McDaniels be the next head coach. True. And Jeffrey said, you know, no matter what they say today, Josh McDaniels and Howie Roseman they're not going to get along in the future. And I, I've i said hes he he was probably 100% right. right. And he so that begs the question,
3: how much influence does Howie have over Jeffrey? I mean, I do agree Jeffrey, at the end of the day, he's the king of his own castle. But <clears> every king has that confidant that they, we've all seen medieval movies. You know, the king always has that one person behind him that can kind of sway his hand. Yeah.
4: The consigliere in the mob movies. That's what exactly. Howie is. That's what Howie is. And, and But, again, the Godfather doesn't have to listen, you know. So if you're Michael Corleone and whatever his name was, Robert Duvall, Tom, I can't remember it, but for old school movie fans, I shouldn't right, have. I'm, to, I'm, uh, I'm,
3: you're right. I'm, uh, he, he played I'm, the family lawyer.
4: <laughs> yeah, he's the consigliere. You you can listen. They give you advice. And that's how he does uh, for Jeffrey. And he's the closest, but at the end of the day, the godfather, Tom Hayden, by the way, uh, Tom the, god, uh, uh, the godfather um, makes the decision. That's true.
3: So final question about Nick Sirianni, because I definitely want to transition to the Vic Fangio hire. Uh, you said something earlier about how Nick Sirianni takes, took pride in c- cultivating this ecosystem of coaches that – um, he can, you know, if one guy gets a job, he can just position the next guy in, to, you know, take his place. Um, If he values that so much, if he cares so much about his staff, why not fight for him in these meetings? I mean, Doug, I mean, granted, Doug had a lot of leverage with that Super Bowl and it, it emboldened him more. But like we all say, Nick Sirianni has this stellar winning record. Um, He's made it to a Super Bowl. Why not? Why not fight for you? Why not fight for your right to fight?
4: Uh, He could have, but I'm not, you know, I can't get Nick's head. I mean, you know, $7 million. um, It's a pretty good job. Um, You know, there's only 32 of these things. He's a very young man. He doesn't want to probably not only, obviously, he's not going to retire, but he probably doesn't even want to take a year off. Um,
3: There were a lot of jobs available. And with that winning percentage, is it fair to argue he would be one of the hotter candidates, and this is a major trump that was <clears throat> advocate
4: here. No, because of the timing. Um, if you're fired late in the process, guys are already well along. I mean, most of these teams, and they have changed the rules a little bit. Um, the Rooney rule: you have to have two in 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 person uh, can, uh, interviews with people from outside the organization. So there's some hoops you have to jump through. But a lot of these teams identify who they want very early in the process. And then they go through two parts of the rigmarole, so to speak. One part is the Rooney rule. The other part is um, this sentiment they have to cast a wide net. So they want to make it very PR driven to say, oh, look at all the people we talked to. When really they know who they want the entire time and then they eventually settle in um and 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 hire you know Raheem Morris came out seemingly of left field in Atlanta so there's some talk that Bill Belichick you know could have had the job but wanted too much power and Arthur Blank went in a different direction um Nick Sirianni a perfect example here but if you look at Doug Peterson he didn't get a job he had to wait a year because he was so late in the process right. and okay. Teams were already around, even if you look at the Eagles. The Eagles wanted to talk to Brandon Staley, um, Arthur Smith and Robert Seller, who were the three hottest candidates at that particular time. Now Brandon turned turned them down, but he already knew he was getting the Chargers job. And he was like, eh, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to bother. Yeah. Um, now, House Robert, Angeles,
3: Philadelphia, uh, can, you argue, can you be mad at him? I don't
4: even know. Robert and uh, Arthur did interview with the Eagles as sort of a, 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 you know, courtesy. Robert was already Robert already knew he was getting the Jets job, and Arthur already knew he was getting uh, the Falcons job. Um, and they did it only as a courtesy. So mm. timing is a big part of it as well. Um, And if you're late in the process, even if you have the resume of Nick Sirianni, you're probably going to have to wait a year. Um, mm. And maybe he didn't want to wait a year. <clears throat> and maybe, you know, he wasn't. At, remember, there were stages to Doug Peterson. It's not an apples to apples comparison. Doug had already gone through this scapegoating phase. Of of Jeffrey Lurie's sort of coaching, I call it his coaching Kubler Ross method. Right, the timeline is
3: different. You're right. Yeah, Nick is in year three. Well, into year four, and
4: the real, the real. Well, it's not about years. The real disconnect with Doug began with Mike Rowe. Okay. When he said, "I want Mike Rowe back," and Jeffrey said, "Oh, whoa, 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 wait." You got to fire him. And Doug had to go back two days later and tell us, oh, he he changed his mind. So he was he was very upset by that. Um, and then the next year came. Um, so this is this is Nick Sirianni's Mike Groh moment. Mm. Doug didn't stand up and say, I'm gone if you fire Mike Groh. He said, who's the right. Mike Groh
3: in the situation? Brian Johnson
4: um brian john well there's a lot there's a lot more they 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 fired a couple i think carson walsh was at that time uh i think Um, he got
3: fired as
4: well alex tanny's gone there's got they're gutting the offensive staff they're gutting the defensive staff um do you think they'll do him the courtesy and
3: let him keep kevin petullo
4: yes um but that could change things if they say, and and Nick even mentioned him a couple of times in his press conference, a clear indication that Kevin's going to be back. If they forced him to fire Kevin Petula, I've been saying that that's the litmus test. I think he might mm. walk away. I think he might walk away if they tried to do that. Yeah, because um, it, speaks
3: to, it speaks to him and Brian's connection or lack thereof <laughs> for him to be comfortable with this transition.
4: Well, <clears throat> You know, when you talk about his family of coaches, Brian wasn't a part of that. Right. Brian was an outsider coming in. Now, you get to learn a guy after three years, and I think they became close, but it's not the same as Petulo or um, guys like that or Jason Michael or, or the guys that are here, the guys who are outside the organization, um, Frank Reich, Mike McCoy, people like that, that he's had long-term relationships with. Um, but that's why it's not about years. It's about the stages of, um, mm. and, and, and this is the micro stage for, um, um, Nick Sirianni. So if you pass forward a year and things continue to go in a negative direction and Jeffrey says, now you have to fire Kevin Patulo and this, you know, that's when Nick probably says, you know what? I'm out of here. Would be my guess.
3: Okay. Now they bring in Vic Fangio to be their new defensive coordinator. Obviously, this is the guy they wanted all along. They tried to get him last year. Some things went haywire. Lo and behold, here he is. Um, The word around town, he didn't really care to be in Miami. He didn't really like the environment. And uh, I'm also curious to know –
4: how Once much are you players didn't like him?
3: <laughs> right. That's we're, we're going there as well. Uh, don't don't get me wrong, with, uh, John. We're definitely going there. But uh, let's start here. What does Vic Fangio bring to the table? Now, you and I have talked about Vic Fangio and his style of defense for quite, quite some time. But again, you covered this game for a long time. This is the original, not the Xerox. I, I read your article earlier. Um <laughs> What does Vic Fangio bring to the table? Um in this decimated Philadelphia Eagles defense,
4: um, he's the best one to teach this particular defensive scheme. So I think you you'll have a better teacher. Uh, you'll be more buttoned up when it comes to some of the issues when it uh, whether it's communication and things like that. The one thing even people that don't like bake will tell you. Uh, He's got his players very prepared for what he wants them to do. Um, So I think from that standpoint, look, he's a very good defensive coach, very good defensive coach. There's, you know, most of the flavors of the month on the defensive side, you know, he's forgotten more about defensive football than they will ever know. Um, He is one of the best um, coordinators in in nfl history i don't think that's an understatement that's why he became sort of references the godfather of sort of modern nfl defense um from a technical standpoint from a teaching standpoint big upgrade
0: um one can argue
3: that's what the eagles need most right now um some of
1: Yeah,
4: well, and and some the things in Miami, and remember, you know, a lot of people criticize these reports, and I'm the first one to say, you know, because teams and the Eagles do it, um, and all teams do it, you know, tend to kick people in the, you know what, but when leaving, leaving. Yeah,
3: the I'm door. not, fan, I'm not a fan of it. You and I talked about that, and um, <laughs> yeah,
4: that, but and and in, in this particular instance, there's Dolphins players going on the record, so I mean, there's a lot of Dolphins that's players true. that. That did not like the way he handled his business. Now he's an old school guy, right? In a new school era, and
3: and also, John, real quick before you go, what was the number one <laughs> knock on Miami all year? Right, I, I, outside of the fact that they couldn't really beat good teams, the number they, one they're familiar,
4: on but they they beat up on bad teams and they couldn't beat the good quarterbacks. Sound yep. familiar. It,
3: yeah. y- yes, yes, it it, 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 <laughs> do, it does sound familiar. But even beyond that. A lot of people felt like that Miami team was soft, you know, and lo <clears throat> and behold, you hear guys complaining about uh, what's required from their, what, what, what their D.C. is requiring of them. Um, and uh, it kind of makes me think about the Eric Biennemi thing. When he first got to Washington, you, he was there for what, a week, two weeks, and you got guys complaining about how hard he's working them. You know, that's the first thing that came to mind when I heard these rumors. But to me, I think you need some some high-level discipline, some high-level teaching or accountability in the building.
4: Well, I think, you know, you might be fighting an uphill battle there. I mean, there is certain a certain amount of uh, – and Jody and I talk about this all the time. You can complain about the way it was all you want, but it ain't that way anymore. So you, you kind of got to move forward with what you're given. And – you know, if you listen to some of the old players that the older players, retired players that big coached, they all speak very highly of them. And you speak to some of the the newer generation players who are used to doing things in a different way, and they start to have problems with it. Well, that's not changing. You're you know you're not playing a bunch of forty five year old guys who say this is great the way it used to be. So you got to kind of um adapt with the times. Um you know the one positive I know I know Vic said before the season when he got to Miami, he said he wasn't happy with how many um copycats there were because the more you see the defense, the easier it is to, to decipher it. And it's diluting the um, product. That that's exactly what has happened. So he seemed very aware of that. And he's the kind of guy who will adjust and do some different things. Um, So that's probably a positive as well. Um, They're going to be better coached on the defensive side of the football. But as I said, there's also the part of it, and I wrote about this on SI as well. This guy's been built up as some kind of savior um, to the fan base. if you think about how things went at the end of the Gannon era um, and the tampering and they would have had Bick and if they had Bick, everything would have been fine. If they had Bick this year, they would have been better because he's better coach than Sean Desai. Ironically, by the way, if Sean Desai, you know, he might want him on his staff. Obviously that's wow. untenable. One of the reasons Sean Desai got the job was because Bick recommended him. Um mm-hmm. He's very close to Sean, Um, but I digress. If they had this, they would have been better, but they would have been bad because they didn't have the personnel to perform this year. It's always about personnel first. You know, when Bick has had great defenses, it's been, you know, Patrick Willis and Roquan Smith and Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks.
3: (laughs) Those are some dudes. Those are some guys.
4: Uh, you know, so it's always about personnel first, but generally if you have a, a, a bottom 10 defense personnel wise, he'll probably get you the 16 or 17. If you have a, 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 a top five defense, he'll probably get you to number one. You're going to be a little bit better than what you should be. Um, if Big Mangio is there, but if, if Howie doesn't do his job mm. and they were whatever they were this year, 23rd, 24th in defense, but much worse DBOA. I think they were 28th, 29th. Maybe they would have been 25th. Maybe they would have been 24th. They would have been a little bit better. But you can't you can't just magically make a defense out of out of a bunch of guys who can't play and part of it was injury driven part of it was young players not understanding they weren't they weren't going to have a top 5 defense if big Banjo was here this year if people right. think that you, you better you better you better correct your your thought process or you're going to be really really disappointed uh when you see the product next season
3: yeah you know i feel like you know last season that the season just ended Combination of all things, right? Bad personnel, coaching wasn't that great. Uh, you you can take your pick on however you want to you know distribute the uh, accountability. But you know here here are my concerns about bringing Vic Fangio in, right? Obviously he has the experience. Um, he's self aware that his scheme is clearly uh, permeate, uh, permeating heavily throughout the NFL. So that tells me that he's willing to tweak whatever he does so he can stay ahead of the curve. That you know that's um, reassuring but here's my concern about Vic Fangio, right? You know, which, what, what Vic Fangio are the Philadelphia is going to get, you know, when he gets to Philadelphia? We know he's from the area. I believe he's from the Scranton area. So this is sort of a homecoming from him. He's been in the league for a long time. I think he's 65, 66 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But what Vic Fangio are they getting? Are they getting a strong-willed, enthusiastic Vic Fangio? Or are they getting uh, the Vic Fangio who's um, on a borderline of a retirement homecoming, right? Like, how, how how serious is he taking this job? How locked in will he be? You know, being the fact that again he, he left Miami, he left all that money to come back home. That man is on the verge of retirement. If you ask me, that's what I'm concerned about. Which big fans you already <clears throat> get? Um, how do you respond to that?
4: Well, he's 65. I'm, um, I'm, you know, he's definitely closer to the uh, finish line than the starting gun, as they say um when it comes to his career. But no, I don't get the fact that he wants to uh um he wants to retire and he's wanted to be here and he would have been here last year if the timing worked out and it had nothing to do with the tampering. The timing didn't work out. Adam Schefter finally confirmed that. So you can all feel comfortable. Um and he wasn't gonna back out of his deal with Miami. My concern is this Miami made him the highest paid coordinator in history, offensive or or defensive coordinator in NFL history. Uh, Four and a half to five million a year, probably somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. Um, And they weren't blocking the door for him to leave. Um, You know, a lot of people said, and Jody's been talking about that all, all this week about. Well, now the Eagles are tampering. The Eagles conveniently had set up interviews with Ron Rivera, Mike Caldwell. Why did they do that? Satisfy the Rooney rule. And all of a sudden you're ready when Bic is shaken free Mm -hmm. um, and you can go ahead and hire him. They haven't announced it officially, but obviously the deal is done. Um, My concern is what we talked about is It's an old school guy in a new school environment. Um, And I mentioned those Miami players. A bunch of them went on the record. And I was told, and I know a couple of people who cover the Dolphins, so a, a lot of players, a lot of their best players in their exit interviews to Mike McDaniel said, look, you know, unless this guy changes the way he does things, we want him out of here. Um, that's my biggest concern. Um, old school guy, new school environments. Dolphins were not blocking the door. Mike McDaniel, if you looked at his quote, um, was very mechanical. Yeah. Very robotic. Yeah. Very
3: business as usual. Something that I wish Um, Nick Sirianni would kind of, uh, employ in his press conferences.
4: They, they did not want him back. They were like, thank you. When people say about tampering. Now you don't have to worry about the Eagles and tampering because the Dolphins don't care. The Dolphins are going to send uh, a thank you note to the Eagles because they can get out of this contract
1: mm-hmm. and not
4: pay. And Mike McDaniel's probably going to hire Brandon Staley, somebody he's far more comfortable with, and they probably have to pay him, pay him half the amount of money if that. Um, they're giving, they're sending the the a uh, 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 thank you bouquet to the Eagles. They're not worried about tampering. Um, so, that's my concern. That's my biggest concern. Old school guy, new school environment.
3: Uh, last thing on Vic Fangio, he has a lot. To, he has a lot to clean up on his defensive side. Um, obviously, I believe he's going to have um, some say or some input in the way the personnel shakes out. But um, give me your opinion on how large of a mess. Big fan, has to take care of in Philadelphia. And also, um, how involved do you believe will he be um, maybe in the draft process or the free agent process when it comes to building out his defense?
4: I don't think it's that bad um, on defense because I, I still think the Eagles, very similar to when Nick took over, um, even though they were coming off a bad season, they still had the offensive line and defensive line intact. Mm-hmm. They're built the right way. They still have ta- super talent on the defensive front, and as, as long as you have that, um, you can you can figure out the rest. And we're going to see how have the, how we um, how he builds this roster in the back end. He's got a lot of difficult decisions to make with the veterans on the deep in the back seven. He's got to figure out the linebacker position. You know, again, he kind of doubled down on the Kobe Dean. I'm I'm not. I don't want to give up on the Kobe Dean, but I also can't count on him. I think you got to be realistic about that. Um, you know, who knows? Isaiah Rogers gets reinstated. Maybe he can help in the slot. Um, you make two or three good decisions in that back seven, and all of a sudden you're cooking with gas again. Uh, as far as personnel, no. I think anybody who's barking up that tree, um, he'll be involved like coaches are involved, but how he's in charge of the personnel. Um, of, of and, course
3: right but you know typically in the big fan geo defense
4: historically right He's stop had, talking about linebackers it's not oh, going to change here we go Don it's why do change. you why
3: do you got to burst my bubble John
4: well hey hey hey, and and even Vic would tell you ch- the game has changed you know if you want to well, go back to 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 when he was in San Francisco well not even, that far back
3: but you know just I'm, again right we talk about it all the time there's nothing wrong with um properly allocating your resources to certain positions. There's nothing wrong with that. I think you and I agree with that, right? That the, in theory the Eagles are not wrong for doing what they're doing, but I think you and I agree that they've taken it a bit too far in terms of the linebacker uh room. Is do you see them even slightly trying to um, uh allocate more resources or more assets to that position group because Vic Fangio is here? Any slight (laughs) movement in their philosophy when it comes to the linebacker position because he's here? Do you see any of that happening?
4: No. Um, Wow. I mean, uh, Howie uh, mentioned, look at the two Super Bowl teams. Um, The Eagles were good at linebacker. He mentioned that. But where were they good? Why were they good? Jordan Hicks, go back to 2017. Now, Jordan was hurt by the Super Bowl, but Jordan Hex uh, was a third-round pick, and he hit, and he was a good player, a really good player. Uh, now, he had a lot of injuries when he was here. Then he got healthy when he left. But overall, he's been a really good player and a playmaker um, when he was healthy, when he was here. And then they they signed Nigel Bradham to a very cost-effective um Free agency contract very familiar with Jim Schwartz was with him in Buffalo um, um, But very cost effective very successful When he wasn't uh assaulting cabana boys in Miami now I love Nigel but uh, that's, that's a great story uh and then when Jordan got hurt they still had Michael Kendricks from years prior Uh who was a second round pick different era though a little bit um so they had some they, – they hit on some uh, assets. Um, then if you fast forward to last season, right, T.J. Edwards, they hit, they developed um, from an undrafted guy. That's not a lot of allocation, but they, they developed them. And Kaiser White was the Nigel Bradham. Uh, very cost-effective pre agent signing that played well. Um, and those guys stayed healthy the whole season. That's another part. Of it. I mean, they both of those guys were healthy for an entire what turned out to be 20-game uh, season um, the whole way. So that's rare. Um, and they had to come back to that. So, you know, if N'Kobe Dean hits as a third-round pick, maybe we're not even having this conversation.
3: But here's, but here's the thing. All right, N'Kobe Dean hits. Okay, he's gonna be here for four years. They don't the, like that's. The, I think that's the most frustrating thing about this thing for me, John. Right? Okay, you don't put that much into the position. Fair enough. But when you find a guy and you develop him, why not keep him? So, what exactly are you priding yourself on? Are you priding yourself on being able to find a linebacker? Are you priding yourself on developing them? And like. I, 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 I have a hard time understanding their logic with that position. Again, TJ Edwards, undrafted guy, but you found him. That was your baby. You developed him, but you let him walk. Now N'Kobe Dean, okay, he's going gung ho about N'Kobe, but for how long? Right? The moment Nakobi gets good, he's out the door.
4: Yeah, probably. Um it's but but that's that's it's a self fulfilling prophecy, as you would say. Yeah, that comes to the fact that I, I don't disagree um with the valuation of the position because you you want to spend your money up front and you know you got to build this foundation on on jalen carter and and uh, jordan davis and even somebody like milton williams and obviously reddick and sweat and gotta probably gotta get another edge rusher um That's where you build the foundation. I don't have a problem with them devaluing the linebacker position, um, but they need a better plan B if plan A doesn't work. But that's the case every year. I mean, the depth on this particular team was not good. Um, And we saw a wide receiver. You know, he can't replace A.J. Brown. We know that. Everybody knows that. But, boy, it would have been nice to have a David Moore – or that Palmer kid who are making big plays for Tampa Bay, um, in a playoff game. The Eagles don't have anybody like that. Why? Those guys aren't great players.
3: I think I think those guys were successful because they had coaches or coordinators that knew how to put them in positions to get open. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. Because they're right; they're not top tier. They're, they're, they're I, I, I top think tier
4: people, I, I I think people put way too much value in scheme and play calling you know me nobody just no matter how many times i say it i've been nobody 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 gets it
3: it's play it's about results right john results
4: nobody gets it and 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 you know i i had that discussion with doug peterson it's like the coaches laugh at it man i mean you're one block away from, from looking like a genius. And sometimes by the (laughs) way, you call the worst play possible for a certain situation. And somebody like Jalen hurts, pulls your ass out of the pyre and makes a play. And people think, Oh, that's great. So it can work both ways, but nobody judge play calls. They judge play results. So um, when it comes to. um, Look, Quez Watkins, come on. He's not David Moore. You know, I I I'm reme- I'm old enough to remember Tone before the Eagles got AJ Brown. And and fans were yelling at me saying, Oh, Quez is, is gonna be fine as a number two receiver. And I said, No, he ain't. No, he isn't. No. I mean, you gotta be realistic. And when guys get chance after chance after chance, guess what? If they can make a play, they're going to make a play. Right. If they're capable. At some point, you got to pull the plug, and the Eagles will certainly be. I I, I don't even want to pick on Quez, but they'll certainly pull the plug. But you see it at tight end. Um, you see the linebacker. You see it. Uh, um and they made some bad decisions, you know. Christian Ellis trying to play roster games with him—that was a bad decision. So they made some bad decisions as well. But no matter what they did, the depth on this team wasn't that good, and they had more injuries. And how he knew it was coming, he said it in the off season: "We're we're not going to be as healthy as we were during the Super Bowl season." But look, and they—they they weren't argue,
3: prepared. One can argue that last year's depth wasn't that great, but they just managed to stay yeah, healthy. Yeah, they stayed healthy. Yeah.
4: Now, everybody, you know, if you have to play David Moore consistent minutes, it's not going to be great. But, you know, everybody in this league, it seems, and I'm exaggerating because the Eagles are one of the better teams, but maybe a little embellishment here, but it seems like most teams have somebody at wide receiver who can make a play just because mm-hmm. they're a great athlete.
3: Or the being coach well
4: even um, from the wide receiver yeah, position they're, you know there they're you go again there I mean come on what
3: development is, has to play a part right development has to play a part that's where the coaches come in right John
4: that's 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 when you're talking about good players when you're talking about what AJ Brown Devontae Smith they didn't get developed they just show up and throw out there and and play those guys are hard workers you know Devonte Smith is Incredibly detailed with his route running,
3: yes, yes, they are. Um, yes,
4: they are phenomenal, phenomenal players, absolutely. So, they they help those guys, but they don't help the lesser guys.
3: Uh okay, you know? I, I, I look at AJ Brown as somebody that the Philadelphia Eagles um, didn't really have to pay too much attention to. He came to the and, and then I look like a hell of a defenses. lot
4: better here than he was in Tennessee.
3: He is, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And then I look at Devontae Smith. I I in, in Tennessee, I actually well, think they were the holding thing.
4: you're bombed so, into that trap. I'm not I'm not gonna pick on you, but I'm gonna pick on
3: it's, you. It's, it's okay. When we're partners in crime. It's all right.
4: When when the players are good, it's the player. When when the players are the bad, it's the coaches. Mm-hmm. Can't have it both ways. I know, John. I know. Can't have it both ways. Um AJ, you know, Aaron Boarhead does a great job with A.J. and Devontae, and he does a terrible job with Quez and everybody Everybody else.
3: else Everybody else is average. So so Aaron Moorhead is only good with guys who pretty much come with a ready-made skill set?
4: Well, no, that's what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying. He made A.J. Brown have a career year and back it up with another career year. Devontae Smith has just been getting better and better and better. Was the template better to work with? Obviously. Uh, right. Nobody's arguing that, but the goal of a, a position coach is to get a player a little bit better than he what he would have been without you. So it's a sliding okay. scale. So when you're it comes not, to Quez, you're not turning Quez Watkins into AJ Brown.
3: And that's not what I'm saying. Right. But, and also let's, let's be honest about this too. The Eagles haven't been getting much out of that number three wide receiver position for a long time. And I think it's by design. Um, so basically what we're saying is Quez's talent base, his talent template, is so low that it's almost nothing Aaron Moorhead could have done.
4: Poor Quez. Now, Quez is actually a successful six-round pick in the NFL. When you put it um, in that context, sure. Um, so that, six-round, that six-round
3: pick context makes you – I think people forget that. Yeah. I forget it. I forget it sometimes.
4: If you if you check the Eagle, like people like to grade drafts, which is silly, especially the year of. But when you look back at drafts and you want to say this was a successful pick and this was an unsuccessful pick, if you get a six round pick that produces like Quez Watkins, that's good compared to typical six round receivers. Yeah. Now you know Jason Kelsey was a six round pick. Tom Brady was a six round pick. Um, there are other guys that you know blow up the charts. There's always guys like that, um, but if if you're looking at it, Quez Watkins is a successful draft pick. If you want to be fair to the Philadelphia Eagles, um,
3: yeah, yeah, I mean, look, I look at it like this, right? He ended up being better. He ended up being better than uh, Jalen Rager, so that's a plus, plus. and um, I appreciate yeah. that.
4: Yeah, but I I mean, yeah, I get it. It, it can't be. When it when it when you have a good player, it's all the player, and when you have a bad player, it's all the coaches. I mean, you can't make. You, 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 boy, people people give too much credit to the. Coaches. It's all right, John. I'm, you ain't got to ain't, ain't
3: hold back. Go ahead, let loose. You ain't got to hold back, man. I know, I know, you're a lot of restraint. Coaches, right now.
4: coaches are are there to make the players a little bit better than cool. where they would have gotten by themselves, not some drastic, uh, disconnect, you know, otherwise, you know, b- coaches like Andy Reed or, or Bill Belichick, historic coaches would never have a bad season. Do they have bad seasons? Of course they have bad seasons. If you're as long as those two, if you're around as long as those two guys are, you're going to have bad seasons because it's a cyclical industry and the talent is going to uh, dip and, and increase and be like an EKG. It's a cyclical industry. So if you're lucky enough to, to coach a quarter century, like, like bill, you're going to have some bad seasons. Does that, does that mean he turned into a bad coach? Some idiots will tell you. Yes. Hmm. Oh, he all of a sudden woke up one day He was the greatest coach in NFL history and woke up one day and became a bad coach. Does that make any sense on any level whatsoever? No, sir. No, sir. I mean, it's always personnel first. Always, 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 always.
3: All right. And on that note, you guys, we're going to end the show. And next time, John, when we speak, um, I kind of want to pick your brain about um where the Philadelphia Eagles uh, should or need to go when it comes to how they handle uh, their drafting they're going to have a lot of um draft picks to share with the compensatory picks hopefully Miami doesn't change their mind about the tampering charges and then uh they the, can the, hold the, on the, to the, all
4: you know <laughs> you, you don't have to worry even a little bit about that especially you just got to find space uh for the bouquet of thank you roses
3: Hey, listen, uh, we appreciate you, Miami. Uh, but on, on that note, you guys, we appreciate you for locking in on the content as well. Make sure you guys smash that like button. Make sure you guys are subscribed before you guys leave the live stream. We appreciate you guys so much for checking in with us Um, at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Central Time. That's my time. And again, you guys, you, uh, it's, it's always amazing uh, catching up with you. Um, John, um, I appreciate you always taking time out for the show. It means a lot to me. Again, make sure you guys uh, smash that like button, make sure you guys are subscribed to the Jacob Sports YouTube channel, and also check John McMullen's other work out on uh, si.com. That's sportsillustrated.com. He does an amazing job um covering the Philadelphia Eagles. He's our Eagles, he's our Eagles insider here at Jacob Sports and Jacobsports.com. And also check him out on Burge 365 with his partner in crime, Jordan McDonald. Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to East, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. So we appreciate you guys so much. Uh, you guys were locked in on football 24 seven with John McMullen. I'm your guy, Tone. This shows the second, and we'll see you next time. Take care, you guys. Peace.
2: When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messen Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Billy the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates.